You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Welcome back to the Martha Zoller Show. It is great to be here today and talk to Senator John Ossoff in person. How are you? Martha, thank you so much for having me. Great to see you. So tell us why you were in Gainesville on Tuesday. Had very productive meetings today at UGA and at the Poultry Diagnostics Laboratory here in Gainesville, all part of a push I'm launching to support poultry in Georgia. Uh, It's one of the most amazing attributes of our state, our incredible agricultural productivity. And uh, it's a pleasure to work with and serve Georgia's farming community. I was down in Tift and Turner counties a few weeks back, uh, meeting with uh, pecan, peanut, and cotton growers, and uh, hearing what they need and have sprung into action to try to help resolve some uh, barriers to exports to overseas markets that they face so that Georgia farmers can sell more of our crops overseas. And uh, today, talking with uh, the folks in in the poultry world, really hearing about their workforce challenges and uh, developing some plans with them to help get more trained poultry scientists and more qualified workforce so we can continue to grow poultry production in Georgia. Well, we really we really feed the world, right? I mean, it's the number one meat now that people like to eat, and it's it's something that uh, you know is really important not only to this economy here in Gainesville, but throughout the world. It is. I mean, uh, you know, food supply is not something that we can take for granted. Food security is a national security issue. And uh, Georgia feeds not just the rest of the country, but the whole world. And through the Port of Savannah, uh, we export um, broilers, we export crop yields uh, that travel the entire globe and feed the entire world. And uh, that supports a lot of jobs, investment and wealth creation and uh, hard work here in the state. So you have been very busy, and we've got several things to talk about. But just this afternoon, there was a press release about uh, an initiative you had with Senator Tim Scott that is out there related to FEMA payouts to uh, black families. Tell us about that. You know, as you know, Martha, I try to work across the aisle as much as possible. And uh, Senator Scott, my Republican colleague in South Carolina, has been a great partner. Uh, We teamed up because what we learned was that the way that FEMA processed claims for disaster relief after, for example, a hurricane um, had a a disproportionately negative impact on uh, those who had inherited property but didn't have clear title to it. And what we see in the South is that tends to be black property owners who uh, own what's called heirs property. And so we launched a bipartisan inquiry with FEMA asking them to revise some of their practices so that uh, those property owners, predominantly black property owners, uh, but anybody who owns property they've inherited that may not have clear title can still get the disaster relief they need in the aftermath of a major disaster. Uh, FEMA acted on our inquiry, acted on our request, reformed their practices, uh, and that has significantly enhanced their ability to get relief targeted to those who need it immediately after a storm or a fire or a tornado or another major disaster. Now, you always also worked very closely with Senator Lindsey Graham on an initiative related to Israel. So do we see something in your future in South Carolina? Yes, Tell us know, about I, that. I, I have built, <laughs> look, I've built very strong working relationships with both of the uh, 
South Carolina senators, Senator Scott and Senator Graham. I've also got a great working relationship with Senator Tillis just over the line in uh, in North Carolina. Uh, Lindsey Graham and I have worked together on bipartisan efforts to um, strengthen the U.S.-Israel alliance and uh, to uh, protect U.S. national security interests. Uh, and I look forward to those continuing collaborations. Now, we've talked several times about your work with veterans, and I know there's been progress in that area related to housing and other things. Tell us about that. Well, we made uh, a huge breakthrough in Congress in the last few weeks with this bipartisan PACT Act. Um, this is the most significant strengthening of veterans' health care in recent decades, and it's bipartisan legislation that a group of us championed uh, and its purpose is to make sure that those who served in Iraq and Afghanistan who were exposed to toxic chemicals and toxic fumes, especially near those burn pits where the U.S. military was burning waste, including medical waste, including human waste, uh, that those veterans get access to the lifelong care they need through the VA for conditions that they have associated with that toxic exposure. We're talking about um, some very serious cancers, um, emphysema, COPD. Uh, and I'm really glad that we got this done, and we got it done on a bipartisan basis. I also have to highlight the bipartisan legislation I've introduced with Senator Rubio of Florida uh, to help military families struggling with the high cost of housing, as well as um, bipartisan legislation I introduced last week with Senator Kramer of North Dakota uh, that's meant to make uh, mental health counseling uh, more easy for service members and their families to access. Now, of course, last week there was a bipartisan um, gun reform bill. I hate to call it gun control. It's more of a gun reform bill. Uh, it was passed in the House, the Senate, and the president signed us. Tell us about that. Well, this is uh, bipartisan legislation that does a few things. First of all, it strengthens background checks uh, for buyers of semi-automatic long guns aged 18 to 21. Um, second of all, uh, it makes um, straw purchasing and uh, illegal gun trafficking uh, federal crimes, where previously um, there really weren't federal criminal statutes that allowed prosecutors to go after uh, illegal gun traffickers. Um, it also is a significant investment in mental health. Uh, in fact, one of the most significant investments in mental health in uh, recent U.S. history. And finally, it closes what's called the boyfriend loophole, um, which means that those who have been convicted of uh, domestic violence targeting an intimate partner, uh, previously it was only if they were the married spouse um, that there were some restrictions on firearms ownership. Uh, now someone who has assaulted an intimate partner and been convicted even if they're not married, they also are subject to those restrictions. And that's going to save a lot of women's lives who have been killed by uh, uh, violent domestic abusers. Now, of course, last week or on Friday, we got the decision down related to Dobbs in Mississippi and then Roe v. Wade. And I first of all, I want to thank you for your statement about uh, the violence that was threatened against the justices, because you were one of the few Democrats to actually make a very strong stand about that. And I think everyone should have that feeling about that. So thank you for that. But I want your thoughts on what next, because, you know, there is, I think that something like Dobbs, if it were introduced, could actually be a bipartisan bill that could be passed in the Congress. Well, look, the implications of this Supreme Court decision are are vast. Um, this is a dramatic expansion of the government's power to regulate pregnancy. And what the Supreme Court's decision means is that 
Um, it gives license to state legislatures and prosecutors uh, to prosecute women or their doctors or nurses um, for uh, abortion even in the hours or a few weeks immediately after conception, uh, even where pregnancy is the result of rape, uh, or even when there's a threat to the health of the mother. Um, what this means is that now it's up to legislatures, so our state legislature here in Georgia uh, or the U.S. Congress, to uh, make policy that, in my view, should protect the privacy of these very personal health care decisions um, that women make in consultation with their doctors. And I know it's an emotional issue. I, I recognize and respect uh, the breadth of views. Um, I think we, we need to be very concerned, however, when the government starts getting in the business of regulating pregnancy uh, and getting so involved in the personal health care decisions of the American people. And you, not, you and I have talked about this before, and, and I'm not where you are on that, but I'm respectful of your position. I do think that um, we've got a lot of work to do, that Georgia has done a lot of progressive things related to Betsy's Law and the new maternal care homes that are opening around the state, as well as expanding Medicaid for pregnant women and doing other things related to that in preparation for this. Uh, But I do think it's going to be something that we're going to need to work together on. And I think that I hope that we will. I hope that people won't go to their corners and that they'll continue working on it together. Well, we've got to have a constructive dialogue based upon mutual respect. And uh, regardless of one's views on choice and abortion, uh, I think that what we all agree on is that the maternal mortality and maternal health crisis in this state is unacceptable um, and that we need to take strong action together uh, to save the lives of, of pregnant women and postnatal mothers, to um, do more uh, to uh, strengthen the health, you know, in the whole uh, perinatal medical system uh, of uh, prenatal and neonatal babies, um, and have healthier mothers and healthier babies in this state. You know, one thing I'd like to, I would like to get you on again at some point in time to really talk about this at length, because I do think there have been opportunities over time, and you can't control what happened before you, right? There's been opportunities over time. And look, I am, I am more, much more pro-life and you are much more pro-choice in your positions. But I do see that something like a Dobbs, that is a first trimester kind of situation, puts us in line with, um, with Western European countries and things like that, I think that could be something that could be debated and might find some bipartisan support. Well, I think that there needs to be a discussion now in Congress and in state legislatures about um, setting that floor and um, establishing some basic standards of privacy in women's health care. And so uh, I'm sure those conversations now will uh, accelerate. So anything else you'd like to share with us today? that I've left out. Well, look, I want to give a huge shout out and uh, all of my gratitude to all of the uh, military service members and their families who are listening, all of the veterans who have made sacrifices for our country, all the teachers, first responders, firefighters, police officers out there who are uh, keeping us safe every day. Um, And uh, uh, for all of you and for everybody out there, please know that uh, I'm here for you. Uh, Whether you are a a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, doesn't matter to me. I'm your representative in the U.S. Senate. I'm here to help you any way I can. It's ossoff.senate.gov. Please don't hesitate to reach out uh, to my team if we can be of any service to you. 
John Ossoff, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. It is so great to be here, and we're very happy to welcome to the program Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is the Republican nominee for United States Senate, and welcome back to the program, Herschel. Hello there. How are you doing? It's great to talk to you. So where are you today? Uh, I'm in Atlanta. I'm uh, going around still meeting with the people, talking to the people, saying about this economy, trying to see how can we get this economy uh, done. You know, I, I did a tweet yesterday that most people are not worried about an electric car. They're worried about trying to bring these gas prices down. So uh, I'm out t- telling the people when I get into office, that's one thing I want to work on. So in the last couple of weeks, obviously, there's been some big things that have happened. There was a uh, compromise on um, some Second Amendment uh, restrictions that was passed in the Senate and the House and then signed into law by the president. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad to see the Democrat and Republican come together to uh, get something done with the Second Amendment. Uh, I don't think it went far enough because it really didn't address one of the real, real problems, I think, with, with the mental health. I think that is a real strong thing that's happening. And I think uh, right now just for them to come together and at least address some of it is uh, very important. But that's one thing I want to champion when I get to Washington is the mental health side as well, because I think that's a big problem as well when you start talking about guns. You know, one of, one of the real challenges when you're dealing with mental health issues is that until there's a real problem, it's hard for anybody to actually get help for someone, what's the what is the solution to that, or how will you put together a group of people that will help you decide what's the best thing to do there? Well, you know, I think one of the major problems is we've demonized anyone that has a mental problem. You know, we made it seem like it's something very bad. You know, you've seen so many TV shows that they put you down when you have a mental health problem, but that's something that I've been addressing for the last couple of years. That. You know, it's just like any other problem. And I think most families in America have someone that may have suffered from some type of mental illness that we not not something you run from. It's something that we have to embrace and know that it exists and then we can address it. But you can get help and be better. You know, I went through something myself and I am better. You you get down and get the people that can help you. There's people out there that can help you and you can feel better. You're going to do better. And that's what I want people to know, that there's no shame to ask for help. So we talked a little bit, our swap messages over the weekend, about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, tell us what your thoughts were when you heard that, and then what you'll do in the United States Senate to help make sure that this continues. Well, I think one of the things I was very proud to see what the Supreme Court did, you know, they sent it back to the people, back to the states where it should have been, because it's not really in the Constitution. And it's sad to see the people out there uh, upset and all that because of uh, the the Supreme Court justices. They did their job, and right now it's up to the states, and I think that's that's where it should be at. And I'm glad to see that uh, some states can decide and some may uh, do abortion. But that's what's great about America. And what's sad to me is to see the people that's out there wanting to uh, wanting to do what they call peaceful protest, but you don't see the peaceful protest when you see them burn, burning things down. You're seeing them doing things that's kind of reckless. And I said, you know, here in this country here, we can agree to disagree. And what I mean by that is they're sending it back to the states where some states will have abortion, some will not. I believe in life. 
I believe in life, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But somebody, that doesn't mean I'm going out to hurt someone that do not believe what I believe. And I think that's what's sad to me to see that's going on. You know, in the campaign, you talked during the primary and have continued to talk about uniting Democrats and Republicans and, and asking for the votes of Democrats and Republicans. Tell us how that message has been accepted as you've been going around, because I've noticed many of your campaign stops are not the traditional campaign stop. You're doing the traditional things, but you're also going to boys and girls clubs. You're going to other places that aren't typically campaign stops. Tell us about that. Well, I am because, you know, I'm running for the United States Senate, and that means I represent all the people, not just Republican, not just Democrat, but I represent all the people. So I want to know what all the people are talking about. So I want to get down in the Democratic areas where people say it's a Democratic area and talk to the people. Let them know what I stand for. Let them know that I want to fight for, uh, you know, school uh, uh, charter school. I want to fight for school choice. I want to fight for everyone to feel safe when they leave their home. I want to fight for energy independence. Those are things I want to fight for and that I'm not this, this, this guy that's out there just, and, you know, one of the things I want people to know here is I, I found something out. And what I found out is most of the time, Republicans want to serve the people, which is what you're supposed to do. And it seems like right now the Democrats want to control the people because it seems like they want to let the government do all the work for you. But I want the people, everyone to know, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to listen to you. If you're going to cry, I will cry with you as well. But I'm also here to try to make things better for you being in the United States Senate. And how can people help you if they want to help you with the campaign? Well, what they can do, they can go to uh, teamherschel.com, and I love for them to volunteer and get out and vote and let people know what I stand for and tell people about me. And also, I love people to contribute to the campaign. You know, there's no doubt they're raising a lot of money to uh, to to try to keep that seat. And they've spent almost $18 million already trying to defame me, trying to make me look bad. And I don't think it had moved the needle that much. You know, right now we're still tied or – or uh, he's ahead of me by one or two. But uh, it come November, I'm going to win this seat. And the way we can do it, we've got to do it together. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he may be a good man, but I think everybody see these policies he's released on Georgia and on this country is absolutely terrible. So people go to teamherschel.com and contribute or even volunteer to come and help. We got one more question that came in from Jeff from Oconee County, and he wanted to know what your thoughts were about getting the, the Republican Party back together. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in this race. You've known Brian Kemp since you were a teenager. You have known um, uh, Donald Trump since, you know, since not far after that. How do we bring the party together? That's what Jeff wants to know. Well, what- you know, the way you bring them together is you communicate. you got to get out and start communicating, which is what I've been doing. One of the things I want to do is do a unity rally. I want to do it, but we had to do some of the runoffs. And right now, my team and I are talking about doing a unity rally where we can bring everyone together because it's not about egos. I think that's one thing we got to remove from this is egos. we got to think about the people and not just the Republican people, but think about the Georgians. Think about all the people because – we're representing all the people, and it can't be about egos. It got to be about what's great for this country and what's great for this state. And that's one of the things that I, the reason I got into this race and this Herschel Walker. And I say that when I first got in the race, I'm not here for a party. I'm here to bring people together because I'm a child of God, and and that's what God would like for us to do is come together and continue to be America number one. How how are you and your family handling all the attacks that are coming out after you? 
Oh, it's, it's tough, but, you know, my family know me, and my friends know who I am. They know the type of person I am, and I think Georgians know me as well. There's no doubt they're coming in and saying all types of things, and, and uh, because it's uh, political, people know that these things are not true. And, you know, I'm a guy. I'm a guy of God. I'm a man of God. I'm going to walk the way I walk, talk the way I talk, and, you know, he without sin cast the first stone. There's nothing I'm ashamed of, nothing I've done to hurt anyone. I continue to try to live a great life and continue to go out and do what I think is right. Right now, I'm going to fight for this country. And I told them no weapon formed against me will ever prosper. And I'm not sure if they're thinking of that. I'm going up against the reverend. And, uh, you know, he may be a good man, but y'all see the policies he's releasing. They're trying everything they can to not talk about what they've done to this country. You see the economy the way it is. It had nothing to do with Herschel Walker. You see the gas prices. It had nothing to do with me. You see what's going on in the schools. What's going on on the supply chain, that has nothing to do with me. It has to do with who's in office right now, and that's the reason I'm running to try to change it. And I told people this many times, I wouldn't have to run if everything was going right. Right now, everything is not going right. They've forgotten about this country, and I think people can see it. It's all around you, and they continue to blame Putin. They continue to blame everyone else except the policies that they do, and the policies is the problem. Herschel Walker, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it very much. Hey, thank you, and God bless. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and Pete Hexeth is here with me right now, and he is his new book is called Battle for the American Mind. And, gosh, I've been talking to Pete for longer than I'd like to admit about a lot of different topics. And it's great to have you back, Pete. How are you? Hey, Martha. I'm doing great. How are you? Good, 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 good. Listen, so first of all, I love the way you laid this out in Battle for the American Mind because it is a question. And look, in full disclosure, I am the ninth district representative for the Georgia State Board of Education. So we were the one, we were one of the first state boards to do a proclamation against uh, what we called uh, divisive theory. We didn't call it critical race theory. And the reason mm-hmm. why was if you call it critical race theory, they're just going to change the name and teach it another way. So we we lo- outlined what, what we weren't going to allow and were one of the first states to do it. Um, tell us about Battle for the American Mind. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, that's the kind of vigilance that we need as conservatives and Christians and patriots. Um, and, and I salute that, and I salute what parents are doing at school board meetings as well. Yes. The scary part is, is that a lot of that still does, doesn't do enough to change or doesn't really do anything to change the pipeline of the educational industrial complex, which, which creates the standards, the tests, the curriculum, the pedagogy, the teachers, the teachers' certifications, teachers' colleges, um, you know, the unions and, and all the aspects that have been completely captured by the left intentionally uh, and focused on K through 12. So we end up at the classroom level or at the school board level kind of dealing with the, the, the end state of a pipeline that they completely control. So that's why we argue you have to understand the hidden history so we understand the depth of the problem, at which point you can realize how drastic we have to be in how we respond if we're hoping to create kids who are critical thinkers and free thinkers um, as opposed to a pumped full of the latest agenda of the day and prepared to be compliant. So how did we get here? 
<laughs> you know, I, I thought when I started this project with David Goodwin that it was a product of the 60s, right? I mean, that's when everybody kind of points to the change in our culture. It actually goes back much further than that, over 100 years, and it was early progressives. Some of the names will be familiar to your listeners, John, the likes of John Dewey and others, um, who understood that the shaping of the youngest of minds is the most uh, efficient and a useful way to transform our social contract or create societal change. And they actually studied the uh, prohibition movement, which uh, actually gained steam because of third grade curriculum 40 years before that, that ended in a constitutional amendment. The progressives said it's the classroom where we can change society. And so they built their own schools and they openly debated it in the new republic. And then they took control of institutions. Then the critical theorists, to your point, uh, showed up at Columbia University in the 1930s. That was the most uh, preeminent teachers college in America. Then the unions were taken, the teachers associations were taken over by the teachers union movement, which soon became an anti-American movement with, you know, Howard Zinn and, uh, and ideas that became, that are totally antithetical to who we are. So it was not that it was one giant conspiracy. It was that a lot of things happened gradually over time and we allowed them to happen. And then the progressives took over the institutions knowing they had to get rid of God. That was the key, that's basically the key thesis of the book is progressives had to get God out of the public classroom if they were to bring about the kind of change they wanted. And sadly, they were very effective at that. You know, I saw the what you did with your Harvard diploma on TV um, uh, <laughs> recently. And it's funny because my cousin, Larry, who was a 30-year um, Army veteran, a full bird colonel, he was a hospital administrator. That's what he did while he was in the Army. He actually went to Harvard and he had to do ROTC on another campus because he went in the, in the 60s when they had yeah. just kicked ROTC off of the campus. And um, you know, he when he got through with his career, they'd always be hitting him up. And he said, no, you I, you know, I'm embarrassed now that I graduated from Harvard because you are against everything that I stand for. That's exactly right. That's exactly why I sent my degree back. I'm embarrassed to be associated with an institution that is poisoning the future leaders of our country uh, and, and pumping them full of critical theory and Marxist ideology. And then we're holding them up as if we should celebrate them or seek them out for leadership positions because they got that degree. At this point, we know exactly where we're sending these people to, what they stand for. We should reject that. And so I say that to, you know, that's about 95% of people's alma maters these days are le hard left institutions. Uh, this is this is colleges and universities. Uh, and by holding them up, we, we we allow them to continue to be the gatekeepers of elite society, which we need to stop doing. So this book is not about K through, or not about colleges and universities, but um, that's all part of the issue with how it we is. take our country back. So how? Yeah. So that's the question. How do we start? Because if they, you know, well, one thing we know about progressives is they're willing to work a hundred years on things. I yes. mean, there's a whole list of issues that you and I could spend all day talking about that they have been carefully plotting for years and years and years. How do we start this? I think we've started, 
but where do we go from here? We have started. You're exactly right. The, I call it an educational insurgency. It has begun. Uh, the first step to recovery in any process of recovery is admitting the depth of your problem. So <laughs> we have to stop lying to ourselves that it's not my school or my school, my state's okay. These things are, yes, in some places it's better or worse than others, but ultimately the entire pipeline of education has been infected by progressives. So admit that. Then I think the argument I make is that we have to, we should be uh, pushing for tactical retreat at this point. I think we should pull our kids out of government schools and public schools, if possible, find an alternative uh, way for educating them. I'm a big fan of classical Christian education. There are a lot more uh, ways to get access to it than people think. It's a lot more affordable than people think. There are other private options, homeschooling options, co-op options, online curriculum options. I don't want to spend my evenings protesting at the school board of my local schools trying to stop them from indoctrinating my kids and trying to deprogram them at dinner on Sunday morning. So I, I actually think the institution is, is more or less gone in our public schools. We, we, we retreat temporarily to fortify our own institutions that create free thinkers. And then, and then eventually you get to something like universal school choice, which I saw what Arizona did there, and it's fantastic. Like we need to break the grip of the monopoly of, of government schools. So the book lays out in about three chapters what this solution looks like. And it, it does call for some pretty dramatic things, life change choices that people have to make. I, we just have to stop pretending it's not our school or it won't be our kid. Um, it, it's happening in all, all, almost every single public school across America to varying degrees. And whether they admit it or not, whether they tell the school board they're doing it or not, the incentives of the unions and the pipelines is to go with the progressive narrative. And, and we have to we have to return to a form of education that our founders got 250 years ago, which was not an accident and a product of Western Christian civilization um, that understood the great books and Greek and Latin and biblical history. That's what got us here, and we shouldn't give up on that today. Yeah, I mean, you're so right about that. And I, my children are grown now. They're between 30 and 40 years old, and my, I have six grandchildren. And two of my grandchildren are in school already. One's in second grade and one's in kindergarten. And my second grader, I've already seen it. And my my kids have had to, um, you know, they call us up. It's so funny because of what I do. My my son saw this project that, that James got sent home with, and he said, we got to call mom about this because she's going to. We're gonna. She's gonna have something to say about this, and so they called me about the project, and I said, "No, I don't think you're out of line at all. This is not something that a second grader should be doing, and it's anti-American." And so they stood up to the teacher, and they were able to get, you know, a different project. But but you're right that it's one of those things that made them think. You know, maybe we need to go to private school. Maybe we yeah. need to be doing something different. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a sad and unfortunate reality because I went to public school. My parents were public. My dad was a, a public school teacher. I assumed until about three, four years ago, my kids would go to public school. So I'm not coming at this as some radical, you know, anti-public school person. You just have to have your eyes wide open to what's happening. And if you, the progressives wrote a hundred years ago, they wrote this down. They said what. Uh, what chance do theists or Christians have with their one hour on Sunday to defeat our 40 hours of secular training in the classroom? They already knew it then. Now it went from bias to agenda. Now it's sheer indoctrination, and it's anti-American and anti-faith. If you care about those things, you cannot afford to send your kid to 40 hours of Democrat camp. Your most precious resource, your kids and your grandkids, 
find an alternative. I, I love classical Christian education. I think it's the best form. I finally got all my kids in it, and, and I, it was like a ticking clock until I did. Why would I not want not the most elite, not the most expensive, not the most fancy. A lot of them are small, basic, but they get uh, a, a reservoir of knowledge that I know I never got. And I didn't, you know, I, I'm grateful for my education, but when I look back on it, I realize how little I was taught um, about, you know, actual deep ideas and the ability to think critically. So we've got a chance now that we're awake to the woke deal. Well, uh, and to I'm, make I'm a little older than you are, and I came through a time where we still did learn about critical thinking and that is so important and that's the thing that we try to do with with my kids and grandkids but you're absolutely right it's it's one of those things that chips they chip away at you you know it's where you don't even notice it and then you turn around and you look and you go what the hell happened and and at that point you're catching up you're trying to get you know, you're trying to catch up because even in my household where, you know, I'm very verbal about what I believe. Obviously, my husband is very strong in that way, too. But even in my house, we've had to, like, you know, reclaim our kids after college. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, you know. Absolutely. If I had a dollar for every person that came up to me and said I sent a, you know, a Christian patriot to college and they came back a Bernie supporter, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> and but, but here's the crazy part. They, the progressives knew that was not a very efficient way to change kids' minds. And so now it's actually, they show up to college already indoctrinated. Yes. And that's the scary part. And you, we, it, it, think of the authority that teachers have in the minds of a 10-year-old or a, or a 13-year-old. I mean, if a teacher says it, it's almost gospel. And we can't expect our kids to be able to thread the needle just by talking to them at night of, oh, ignore that or don't do that project. It, you're blade running. Well, and, and, I and think... the other the other part is we've got to get back to encouraging the best and brightest of being teachers, and yep. and not to, this is no knock on teachers, okay? Because teachers have been asked to do a lot, but but what happened when, quite frankly, women like me entered the workforce when we did forty years ago, that it used to be the only path for us was to be a nurse or a teacher, okay? And now women can do anything they want. Not that only women should be teachers, but but it is 87% of the population that decides to be teachers. And we need to have people look at teaching as a viable option within our own thought process. And I think that's Wonderfully important. Said. Wonderfully said. I agree. Thank you. Pete Hegseth. People can get this book everywhere. It's The Battle for the American Mind. It's a great read. I've read it twice because I missed some things the first time. But I do appreciate all the work you're doing there, Pete. And, you know, really, thank you for your service to our country. And, um, you know, you you were a voice for veterans issues when I first met you. And I know that you still are. Uh, You know, my dad was a POW in World War II. And we talked about that many times. I'm actually going going to France in 2024 for the 80th anniversary of the town that he uh, in his unit liberated oh, wow. right before they were captured. So they're having a big parade and they've invited all the children and grandchildren of these men that were part of that unit to go. So I'm very excited about that. Wow, that's awesome. No, we're still fighting uh, on that front too. And I'm, I'm grateful for everything they've done, of course. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.